Hey folks, there's already plenty of politically charged legal news making the headlines in 2021. In a leaked recording of an hour-long Saturday phone call, President Trump pressured Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger to find the votes necessary to flip the election in Trump's favor. Meanwhile, a number of Republican senators, led by Missouri's Josh Hawley, plan to participate in a last-ditch effort to challenge the results of the presidential election when Congress meets tomorrow to formally certify the Electoral College vote. And there are questions surrounding Vice President Pence's role in the certification vote and whether he will join the group of Republican senators in attempting to subvert the will of the voters. Ann Milgram and I discuss all of this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. College students with a valid.edu email can head to cafe.com slash student and sign up at a lower rate. Again, that's cafe.com slash student. We look forward to having you as a part of the insider community. Here's somebody who called in, David, who listens to the show. Dear Preet and Ann, your show is terrific. Well, thank you. How can Trump's call to Georgia's Secretary of State not be criminal? He asked Brad Raffensperger to find just enough votes for Trump to win Georgia. He goes on to say, how can anyone listening to those recordings not fully understand that Trump is asking Raffensperger to commit a crime? Thanks, David. Before you answer that, do you agree with me that before we get to the question of whether it was a crime, it was unethical, it was an abuse of power, it was a strong-arm tactic, and potentially an impeachable offense? A hundred percent. So now on the question of criminality, Professor Milgram. I think the criminality question is a harder question, and you you framed it exactly right. It is all those things without question. There are separate statutes. There's a federal voting and election statute that prohibits, essentially, someone like the president from trying to knowingly and willfully deprive, defraud, or attempt to deprive or defraud the residents of a state of a fair and impartially conducted election by influencing the Here, it would be the tabulation of ballots that are known by the person to be materially false, fictitious, or fraudulent under the laws of the state. So the the idea there is that the president is trying to get the secretary of the state to not count ballots that the president knows to be legitimate. And we're going to come back to the knows to be legitimate piece in a minute. There's also a Georgia state law that is criminal solicitation to commit election fraud, which is basically essentially trying to get someone, someone else, and acting with the intent that that other person, so here it would be Trump acting with the intent that Raffensperger engage in conduct constituting a felony, solicits, requests, commands, or otherwise tries to get the person to not count legitimate ballots or to, you know, to, to interfere with the counting of legitimate ballots. And people have disagreed on this a little bit, Preet. So there are some criminal law experts that talk about, yes, it's absolutely a crime. There are others that say it's it's absolutely not. Where, where I come down on this is that there's certainly a fair amount of evidence here that the president is engaged in behavior that feels threatening to me. When he says, he sort of threatens that if Raffensperger and his the, the lawyer that he has on the call Ryan Germany, that if they if they act in a certain way, that that it's a big risk to them. And so he's certainly holding that over their head. I think what becomes the core question is, 
does the president believe those votes are legitimate or illegitimate? There is no proof that the president won those votes, but does the president intend at that moment and legitimately believe that he is entitled to those votes? The problem is it gets back to the first conversation you and I had, which is, what is it? Why is the president doing this? And you get to a point where you do have to prove intent under these laws. And so you are going to end up delving into the president's psyche, which is not very something difficult. that I think is very, very difficult. difficult. And the question is, is he is he misguided or is he deliberately asking for cheating to be done? Now, rational, reasonable people like you and me, and, and, and like a lot of conservatives and Republicans, as we've mentioned already, understand that what the president is asking for in the real world, given the data and the facts and everything else and the statements and the proof provided by Georgia officials, what he is asking for is undoubtedly illegal, right? If you, if you, if you believe the representations and you look in a clear-eyed way at the evidence and how the voting was done and the absence of fraud, by implication saying with specificity like look all i want to do is this i just want to find 11,780 votes which is one more that we have because we won the state the only way to come up with 11,780 votes is to unlawfully flip valid legitimate votes so you and i get that and i think when people ask the question isn't it a crime they're rational, reasonable people who understand that, that that's really what the president is trying to get done. But it's not, it's not the most simple question to answer because the president does at times seem to be deluded in such a way that maybe he does believe. You know, I'm reminded of a very profound legal statement once made by George Costanza on Seinfeld, which yeah. you know, has been revived during the Trump presidency. He once says to Jerry something like, Remember, Jerry, if you believe it, it's not a lie. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> even, yeah. if it's, even if it's false. I don't mean to overcomplicate it. And I want to be a little bit, I think it sounds like we're aligned here. I don't want to say that there's no version of events in which this is criminal, because this is the kind of thing that an investigation, if yes. there were no, I think there. I think there are a lot of, ver I think it may very well be criminal. The question is, you know, what is all the proof going to show? And so so my position on this is, I think we're probably, you know, similar, which is why you know, we, we, we can talk for an hour every week, that there is enough here that is worthy of a criminal investigation, whether state or federal, to find out other things that were said, you know, what other beliefs of the president are. And I, I will say one more thing to take the other side of the hypothetical I just gave, that the president is just misguided. Most of the time I have taken the position that we over-infantilize the president. And, you know, we do him a more service than he is entitled to by suggesting he's dumb or childish or just having a tantrum or he doesn't understand stuff. He got elected president of the United States. And I know people like to say he's dumb, he's uneducated. He's, he's a smart guy, right? I agree with that. And, and, yes. and, and, and there's- and he's, all, and he's an artful politician. Yes, and, and again, and there's we, all we sorts may of, agree or disagree with yeah, how he does it. But right, he's, and there's data yes. points- that suggest to, to, to infantilize him lets him off the hook morally and ethically and maybe even legally. And there's there are plenty of occasions where, famously, the president says some nonsense, whether he was in in, in private business or or as the president, he says he says things publicly 
that are just bald-faced lies. And the question is, oh, does he, does he believe the lies? Does he not? And then he is behind closed doors for a deposition, famously, and he hedges and he withdraws some of the fabrications that he's made because he understands what it means to utter a falsehood under oath. You know, this whole business of calling me and not understanding the protocols and, and why can't you do this? And people say, well, maybe he just doesn't understand. Lindsey Graham, I think, once defended him or Paul Ryan once defended him on that ground. This is a guy who understands full well that there was hay to be made out of the meeting on the tarmac between Loretta Lynch and former President Bill Clinton. So he is perfectly capable of taking advantage of improprieties that he perceives on the part of other politicians, right? And understanding the line between, you know, uttering BS to a reporter versus saying it under oath in a deposition. So, you know, we, we should give him a little bit more credit. I think your argument is that he he understands right and wrong. And when yes. he does the wrong thing, it's it's knowingly. I, I think also that this is an example, and we've seen this repeatedly during the presidency as well, which is that there can be almost, I want to say, mixed motives or two things can be true. So meaning this, remember when Jim Comey was fired, the president kept saying, I have a right as president to fire the FBI director, which is true. It's also true that it could be a crime if you fire the FBI director to cover up criminal conduct, or yeah. it could, right, that it's- Or and if it's you do it in exchange for a bribe, or somebody bribes exactly. you. Exactly. Both things can be true, but because there is one legitimate component of it, the president exploits that. He did the same thing on the Ukraine call. He's he's doing the same thing here in some ways, because there's, a, there's an ability that he has to make some argument that whether or not is true is plausible enough that complicates the reality of the other part of the argument, which is that the president is a purely transactional human being who does understand right and wrong. And so there is a bit of this, and it, it's complicating. The other thing I want to note, and I think it's really important because you just touched on it, and I think we don't say this enough. When you watch cable news, the question of the past couple days has been, did the president commit a crime? Did the president commit a crime? And there are a lot of people who are out there saying yes. And I believe very strongly, and I've overseen hundreds, thousands of state, local, and federal prosecutions and done them myself, you need evidence to be able to prove a crime. And there are some things that are absolutely criminal on their face. There are many other things that require investigations and conversations and knowing more. Here, you would want to know, what were the president's conversations like before he called Raffensperger? What did he tell people was the reason that they were making the call? What did they tell him about those 11,000 votes? There's just a lot of information that you would want to be able to say, yes, it was criminal. And there are a lot of a lot of reasons here, given the nature of the call and having all heard it, why you would have to ask this question of what was the president's intent and can you prove not whether or not his intent was bad, because I think, you know, reasonable people, as you sort of point out, could conclude the president had one goal in mind when he made that call. But can you prove before a jury that a crime was committed and that the president had a certain intent? And so I, I've just been listening to the airwaves and thinking a lot about, I think all of us have to be really thoughtful about saying something could be criminal, it's worth, you know, considering an investigation, but that on its face, it's, it's not something where you could say absolutely a crime, a crime was committed. Look, on the spectrum of what is more or less criminal, you can imagine a call, although I think it was pretty damning, you can imagine an even more damning call. And calls like that have been made in the past. You know, there's been substantial interference with elections in the past, notoriously in Chicago decades ago. You can imagine the president saying other things like, 
look, I want you to go into this precinct. I'm just making this up. And I want you to get 5,000 votes from this precinct. I just want you to change them. You just change them. I don't care what you have to do. You just change them. Rather than cloak it in this idea of perceived but unproven voter fraud. And if you had statements like that, that makes it a much more easy case. Um, or things in the conversation that indicate that the president really doesn't believe there was any kind of fraud, believes that everything was valid and legitimate, and confirms that in the call, and nevertheless says, change votes, find votes. It just That would just be a little bit stronger uh, as, as proof beyond a reasonable doubt. But I do think it would be a completely reasonable for an investigation to be opened by a local prosecutor or by a federal prosecutor, given how much there, that there is. Do you think that will happen? I don't know. I mean, I, I think that it is very possible that an investigation could take place. But I also am mindful of the fact that, again, when it comes to proving what's in this president's head, that's going to be an uphill battle and that a lot of folks are eager to turn the page on what we've seen of the last four years. And so I think this is the kind of thing where I don't think the locals will take it. I think the question is, would an incoming U.S. attorney in Georgia consider looking at this and whether there's sufficient evidence that they believe could be used to bring a, a criminal case? And again, I, I want to note that Cases where you have to prove intent, and, and I would assume the president will not would not be cooperative with the investigation. And so it, this is an uphill battle. And when you when you do political corruption cases, and I put this very squarely in the political corruption framework, you do very thorough investigations. You you spend a lot of time and a lot of energy, and you really bring those cases when you believe that you have proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And and that's true of other cases, but I think that the threshold, I don't know if you agree with this or not, at least for us when I was the state AG, the threshold was high to bring a political corruption case because you wanted to make sure that you had your ducks in a row, that the evidence was secure. And so I, I think I could also understand a U.S. attorney saying there it was a exactly as you and I said, it's an outrageous call. It has all kinds of abuse of power written all over it, but that it doesn't it doesn't rise to the level of, of opening up a criminal investigation. Or they could do a preliminary investigation and sort of see how easy it would be to to make the case. Because again, I think on the face, more would need to be done to be able to answer the question of whether there's a chargeable crime here. Final thing to say, we should point out to people, you know, an odd thing that happened, and I'm not connecting any of these dots because I don't know that they bear connecting, but uh, suddenly and without warning, the United States Attorney in Atlanta, appointed by Trump, resigned after having... Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. Interested students with a valid.edu email can head to cafe.com slash student. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work. <laughs> <laughs>